And, uh, but I'm excited as we begin this, this worship series here in the book of Malachi. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to go ahead and invite you to turn to your Bibles uh, to the Old Testament book of Malachi. And uh, in light of this beginning of this new series, we're going to do something a little different for our scripture reading. You guys are going to remain seated, but we're actually going to read through the entire book. Now, don't freak out because it's only four chapters long. All right. And so we're going to let you be seated this morning. And uh, it's on, if you don't have a Bible, you can use the Pew Bible that's right there in front of you. It's on page 545. And, uh, and we're going to read through the entire book, all four chapters. And so Kirk's going to come and start us off. And as they read, I'm asking you guys just to follow along with each of our scripture readers this morning. All right, as Pastor Bruce said, we are reading uh, the book of Malachi. And uh, so we'll begin with chapter 1. And uh, you can find it on page 545 if you're using a pew Bible in front of you. Again, we'll be reading the book of Malachi. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Even though Edom has said, we have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will throw down. They shall be called the territory of wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. Your eyes shall see, and you shall say, the Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts, to you priests who despise my name. Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? But now entreat God's favor, that he may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands, will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Who is there among you who would shut the doors, so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place incense shall be offered to my name, and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it, in that you say, The table of the Lord is defiled, and its fruit, its food, is contemptible. You also say, Oh, what a weariness, and you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you shall bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. In chapter 2, And now, O priest, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear and if you will not take it to heart to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you. 
and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already because you do not take it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your descendants and spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your solemn feasts, and one will take you away with it. And then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him, one life and peace, and I gave them to him that he might fear me. So he feared me and was reverent before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and turned many away from inequity. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts, but you have departed away you have departed from the way. You have cursed many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, I also have made you contemptible and base before all the people, because you have not kept my ways, but have shown partiality in the law. Have, you, have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously with one another? By profaning the covenant of the fathers. Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned. The Lord's holy institution, which he loves, he has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob, the man who does this, being awake and aware, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering any more nor receive it with good will from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offering. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. You have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil and good is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or where is the God of justice? Continuing in chapter 3. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former years. And I will come near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien, because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Will the man rob God? 
yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord, yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance, that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the, pro the proud blessed, for those who do wickedness are raised up, they even tempt God and go free. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him. And those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On the day I make them my jewels, and I will spare them, as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Chapter 4. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness, will arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb all, for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. God, we praise you and thank you for your word, for its instruction to us, for it is holy, it is powerful, it is good for us. Help us to eat of it, help us to meditate on it, help us to live by it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Malachi. It's a relatively unknown book to most people, even to most Christians, which is, uh, which is why we took the time to read through the whole book this morning for our scripture reading. I, I wanted you to, at the beginning here, just to have a, begin to have a, a feel for, for what the book is saying and, uh, and, and what God is saying to us through his prophet Malachi. Malachi, as you saw, is only four chapters long. It, it's, it contains 55 verses total. And so it takes most people uh, about 10 to 15 minutes to read through the whole book. So what do we know about this little book here in the Old Testament? Well, we know that Malachi is a closing book. And what I mean by that is the very last book in the Old Testament. And so it concludes the Old Testament. But it's also a connecting book in that it connects us to the New Testament of our Bibles. Malachi is also a, a contemporary book. You might wonder what a... A book such as Malachi, which was written over 2,400 years ago, 
how it can be relevant or contemporary for us even today. But Paul, the Apostle Paul, reminds us in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, when he writes, For everything that was written in the past, such as the book of Malachi, was written to teach us even today. Why? So that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. And who here doesn't need a little bit of hope? We all do. And so although this book was written hundreds of years ago, its message is still as relevant today as when it was first written. Which means this little book, four chapters, 55 verses... It's a very challenging book. It challenges God's people back then, just as it still challenges us today to examine the realness of our lives. It challenges us to examine even the sinfulness of our personal lives. It's a book that challenges us to get ready for the coming of the Lord. In other words, we could say it this way. This little book, Malachi, it's an ancient book with a very modern message for us as Christ followers here today. In fact, that message is this. If you want to take notes and follow along, there's an insert in your bulletin that I encourage you to pull out, and you're welcome to fill in the blanks or just uh, notice on the screen behind me, but the message of Malachi, we could summarize it this way. The book of Malachi is really a call for every one of us to live fully devoted to the Lord. It's a call to live fully devoted to the Lord. In many ways, Malachi's message is similar to Jesus' message in the New Testament when it comes to living as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Our mission here at Glenwood is to ignite a passion to follow Jesus. That is to live fully devoted to the Lord in every area of our lives. And and what does that look like? Well, our our vision is is to see people, is to see uh, people in our church, is to see people here in our community and really all around the world through our missionary partnerships, is to see people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ who who, as the banner shows here, who know Christ, who are growing in Christ, who are showing Christ, and who are going with Christ. And so here we are at the beginning of the new year. It's the second weekend in January, and it's a great time to evaluate our passion for following Jesus Christ. And so let me just stop and kind of ask a question. uh, For you to contemplate, for you to meditate on, for you to even take home with you. And think about this week. Are you living fully devoted to the Lord? Or, if you're really honest, you have to say, no, I'm I'm probably not. I'm probably living half-hearted in my relationship to the Lord. And so are you living fully devoted or are you living half-hearted? The people in Malachi's day had become half-hearted in their worship of God. They had become checklisters performing spiritual acts without the engagement of their hearts. In other words, in our our society, in our culture today, it'd be like they were coming to church, they were even serving a little bit, they were giving of themselves, giving of their resources, and they were kind of just checking things off the list. 
but they, they weren't doing it with everything, with all their heart, their soul, their mind. In other words, the people of Malachi's day, they were just kind of going through the motions of worshiping God without any real evidence of life change. As one author writes, Malachi ministered at a time when vibrant faith was rare and crippling doubt was common. It was an era in which people were more often than not weary in spiritual things, eager to embrace the easy way out, and careless and casual about the commandments of the Lord. And so as we gaze across the landscape of our own lives, we see that if we're really honest, you know what, we struggle with the same tendencies as the people in Malachi's day. Like the people in Malachi's day, it's all too easy to become half-hearted, to just go through the motions, to grow weary in spiritual things, and, and to embrace the easy way out. And so for this reason, Malachi really is an ancient book with a very, very modern message for God's people today. And that message is, live fully devoted to the Lord. This morning, what I want to do by way of introduction to this book, is I want to introduce you to Malachi the prophet, and then I want to introduce you to Malachi the book. Who is this prophet Malachi, and, and what is the book of Malachi all about? And so I want to answer those two questions. Notice, if you will, this first point here. Malachi the prophet is really nothing more than a messenger of God. He's a messenger of God. Malachi, as we already said, is... It's the last book in the Old Testament, but Malachi the prophet is the last of what we call the 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament. Now, don't let that confuse you. These prophets were not minor because they were any less important or less significant, but because what they wrote is relatively minor in comparison to the length of some of the other prophets and what they wrote, such as when you read the book of Isaiah or Ezekiel or Jeremiah, you'll notice that their books are much longer, many, many chapters, whereas the minor prophets are very short little books, and like Malachi, it contains only four chapters. Prophets have a very specific role in the Old Testament. As messengers of God, they had one job. They were appointed by God to speak God's message to God's people. That was their sole job. Their sole responsibility. God would reveal His Word to them, and they in turn would publicly proclaim this Word to the people unedited. And typically they were chosen by God to admonish, to rebuke, to denounce sin, to announce God's judgments, to encourage and call people to repentance. And as you might imagine, this made them, well, just a little bit unpopular. Prophets were not liked. So what do we know about Malachi the prophet? Well, look what it says in the very first verse. Notice it with me again. It says in verse 1, The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. This morning we're going to focus on one verse and one verse only. Verse 1. We know three things about Malachi the prophet. The first thing we know is his name means my messenger. In other words, he was God's messenger. 
Malachi is a good name for a prophet since he is God's messenger proclaiming God's message. But that's all we know about Malachi. Since he wrote nothing about himself, we know nothing about his background, we don't know anything about his family, we don't know anything about his personal life. All we know is that Malachi was a man, get this, who was submitted to God and was sent by God. He was God's messenger. As God would say, he was my messenger. Malachi. From the very beginning here, he reminds us that God's not looking for people with impressive resumes or a long list of credentials. Oh no, God is simply looking for people who are available, who will make themselves available for his service and be yielded to his will. I mean, are you that this morning? Are you willing to give your life over to God? and be available for Him, and be yielded to His will, to be fully devoted to the Lord. The second thing we know is that Malachi's audience is Israel. The people of God who had returned from exile in Babylon, and who were now living in Jerusalem. After repeated warnings, and I mean repeated warnings, warning after warning after warning, God finally had enough, and he allowed his people to be taken into captivity in Babylon as judgment for their continued sinfulness and unfaithfulness. After 70 years of living in Babylonian captivity, God then said, you know what, you can go back home. He allowed his people to return to their land. And so in 538 B.C., Cyrus issued a decree that the Jews who were exiled in Babylon could return to their homeland. And so over a course of several hundred years, or I should say uh, a course of several years, not a several hundred, but over a course of about 70 years or so, three different groups of people returned home, back to Israel, Jerusalem, to begin rebuilding the temple that had been destroyed. To begin rebuilding the walls that encircled the city of Jerusalem. And it's to these Israelites that had returned from the Babylonian captivity that God sends Malachi to speak. But the question is, why? Malachi is the very last prophet. He's the last prophet to speak on God's behalf. And you have 400 years of silence before God intervenes again into history and speaks. And he speaks through the prophet John the Baptist, his messenger that would prepare the way for the Messiah. And so right before this 400 years of silence, Malachi is the last one to speak. God sends him to speak to his people. And the question is why? What was God wanting to say to his people? Well, we know this, number three. We know Malachi's occasion for writing this book is that the people were living half-hearted in their relationship with the Lord. Now, don't get me wrong. Many good things have been achieved in this long task of rebuilding the nation of Israel once they had returned from captivity. The temple had been restored, which was no small feat. The sacrifices had been resumed. And the walls around the city of Jerusalem had been restored, rebuilt up as well. However, the nation of Israel was not restored to its former glory. In other words, life was hard for these people. These people were living in poverty. 
both financially and even spiritually. Life had not come about as expected, as they planned, as they hoped, as they dreamed about once they were returning back home from captivity. And so life was hard. Their life as a nation of Israel was not restored to the former glory days when King David reigned and Solomon reigned. And so consequently what we find is that the people were again beginning to falter in their faith of the one true living God. They had, in many ways, God's people, they were being asked to live by faith and not by sight, which God still asks us to do. But instead, they began to live the same type of lives that they had lived prior to the captivity. And while they kept up with the religious observances and sacrificial practices of the day, the priests and the people did not have their hearts fully engaged in what they were doing. They were not serving God, in other words, with all their heart, mind, and soul. Instead, they were serving God half-heartedly. And after a hundred years of returning home, the people have now become very discouraged in their faith. They have become disillusioned with God's promises. They have grown skeptical even of God's love. They have grown careless in their worship. They have become indifferent to the truth of God. They have become disobedient to the covenant of God. They have become even faithless in their marriages and stingy in their offerings. And furthermore, the people seem to have lost all faith in the coming of their Messiah. This is the situation in which Malachi finds himself when he comes on the scene around 430 B.C. The people have lost sight of God's holiness. They've lost sight of their own sinfulness, and they have forgotten the depth of God's grace and forgiveness that they have received from God Himself. And now they are worshiping God half-heartedly. They're just going through the motions. Worst of all, the Israelites did not even realize the condition they were in. They could see nothing wrong with the way they were living or with the way they approached God in worship. But through Malachi, God is calling His people. And He's calling them to live fully devoted to Him in light of His past faithfulness and His future promises to them. Now, it's pretty easy to, for us here this morning, even myself up here, to think, oh man, how could they do such a thing? How could they live half-hearted in their relationship with God after all that God had done for the people of Israel? Don't they know any better? I can't believe them. However, when I take a closer look at my own life, and when I am honest in the mirror of God's Word, I see that, you know what? I am so much like the people of Malachi's day. If I'm honest, I have to admit, I don't always live fully devoted to the Lord. I don't always worship God with all my heart, soul, and mind, even as your pastor. I don't always give God the quote, first fruits of my life. And at times, I, myself, I lose sight of the radical grace that God has shown me. 
Malachi really is an ancient book with a modern message. And so let me introduce you to Malachi the book and the message that he has for us this morning. Malachi the book is a message from God. It's a message from God. Look again what it says in verse 1. It says, The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. This message from God to Israel is called the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. In fact, of the 55 verses in the book of Malachi, 47 verses are spoken directly by God to the people. This means the book of Malachi was not Malachi's message, but God's message. Malachi is simply God's messenger to deliver God's message to God's people. And notice how Malachi, though, notice it. Notice how he describes this message from God that he is to deliver to the people. Malachi's message from God, he says, is a burden. It's a burden. Malachi spoke because he could not help but speak. It says the burden of the word of the Lord was upon him. Malachi did not begin his message from God by saying, you know what, gather around. I, I, I've had a thought here. Let me, I've been thinking and, and I just want to share some things and, with you. And He did not say, it seems to me. Or I have a thought I'd like for you to consider. Oh, no, 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 no. Malachi's message, get this, it was laid upon him by the Lord. And it was pressing upon him like a burden. It lay upon him like a weight. And it was heavy. And the only way that Malachi could get any relief from this burden was to declare it faithfully. So why is Malachi's message, though, his message from God, why is it such a burden? Why is it weighing so heavily upon his heart? Well, the life of a prophet, as we kind of alluded to already, it was a tough assignment. It was not an easy job. It was a tough assignment to receive, but that was only half the struggle. The message that prophets were given, let me tell you, it was rarely easy to deliver those messages. And the message given to Malachi by God, it was a hard message. He was not communicating a health and wealth message. He did not give the people, hey, here are ten easy steps to be the best you can be. To have a happier life. Malachi's message was not meant, in other words, necessarily comfort the people. Malachi's message, as we will see in the weeks to come, it was meant to confront us. It was meant to challenge us. It was meant to convict us. And so it was not a message that made the people feel necessarily really good about themselves. Now there's two specific reasons why the message from God is a burden. The first reason is this. Malachi confronts the people with their spiritual decline. Now, to understand Malachi's message, we need to see that these people, they were not openly rebellious against God. Oh, no, no. These people, they were not living in the days before Noah. Remember Noah in Genesis, in the 
People were living openly rebellious against God. They were evil. They were wicked. And God said, man, I've had enough. I'm going to wipe everybody off the face of the earth. Except Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Noah's wife and his three sons and their wives. And he spared them and, and the animals. That's not the way this was here. These people were not openly rebellious against God. Remember, they were back in the land after the Babylonian captivity. In fact, some of these people more than likely may have even worked with the prophet Nehemiah in rebuilding the walls around the city of Jerusalem. They were offering sacrifices in the rebuilt temple. They were outwardly fulfilling all the rituals and sacrifices of the law of Moses. In other words, they were doing what they were supposed to do as the people of God. And so, if we had asked them, man, how are you doing spiritually? You know what they would have said? Great. Doing fine. But that was not God's evaluation. Through Malachi, God, though, he confronts the people with their half-hearted attitude toward his great love for them. And the response of the people is either astonishment about that or it's very cynical about that. In effect, they tell God, what? You've got to be kidding, Lord. No way are we like that. But Malachi begins to reveal their blindness with a series of questions in which they ask in response to God's announcements. This is what makes the book of Malachi so unique. In fact, it's different from all the other minor prophet books that you may read. The whole book of Malachi, in other words, it is really one continuous dialogue with the people in which God makes this announcement, or you might even say an accusation, about the people's spiritual decline, and the people then give their answer or give their rebuttal. And God then refutes their answer. In fact, as we read through the book of Malachi, you may have noticed these questions and answers. There's specifically seven of them. Seven announcements by God with seven answers by the people. And I want you to notice them briefly. They're in your notes there, not coming up on the screen. But notice God's announcements and the people's answers. In fact, this will become our basic outline as we go through the book of Malachi. You find the first one in Malachi chapter 1, verse 2, where God announces to the people, I have loved you. That seems rather obvious, doesn't it? But the people counter, in what way, God, have you loved us? We'll look at that next Sunday. You drop down to verse 6. God announces again, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my reverence? And the people come back and answer, God, in what way have we despised your name, Lord? In verse 7, God announces, you offered defiled food on my altar. And the people come back and say, in what way have we defiled you? In chapter 2, verse 17, God announces, you have wearied the Lord with your words. And the people answer, in what way have we wearied you, Lord? In chapter 3, verse 7, God announces, Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you. And the people come back and tell God, 
In what way shall we return to you? In chapter 3, verse 8, God announces, Will a man rob God? And the people answer, We haven't robbed you. In what way have we robbed you, Lord? And then finally, in verse 13 of chapter 3, the last one, God announces, Your words have been harsh against me. And the people answer, What have we spoken against you? Now, you've got to understand that the, the whole purpose of these announcements by God was simply to, to reveal to the people the reality of their condition, to show the people their true spiritual, spiritual condition. You see, in God's eyes, what you find in these seven announcements and, and seven answers by the people is that God's, in God's eyes, the people were skeptical. They were skeptical of His love. They were superficial in their worship. And they were selfish in their lives. But the people were blind to the spiritual condition. Their answers reveal that they felt like that they were doing what was right and doing nothing wrong. This attitude is a recurring theme and it's expressed by a recurring phrase. In fact, you, you may have noticed it in, the, in their answers. Six different times you hear the answer, it begins this way. In what way? 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 In what way, Lord? The response, it expresses an attitude that challenges God's announcements of their spiritual condition. In other words, God says, this is what's true about you. And they come back and say, show me, in what way? Their response, to be quite honest with you, it's really no different than some of our responses. It's really no different than sometimes the responses my two boys give me when I confront them. Dad, what do you mean? In what way, Dad? We're fine. Everything is okay. But as their father, I know everything is not okay. As their dad, I know they're not fine. And they can tell me all they want. In what way? But I know, because I'm their father. You see, outwardly, the people were fine. Man, you couldn't find a better looking group. But inwardly, they were serving God and worshiping God half-heartedly. They were what the prophet Isaiah described in Isaiah 29, 13. These people come near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. This is the message that God sends Malachi to declare to the people. And as you might imagine, confronting the people with their spiritual decline is a heavy burden on this prophet. But that's only part of Malachi's message. Number two, Malachi calls the people to a, a sincere devotion to the Lord. Malachi's goal is not just to confront the people. All through the book, he constantly calls on the people to repent and to return to the Lord with all their hearts. As one author writes, Malachi's one great plea for the people in his day, just as is true for us today, his one great plea is for a personal relationship with the living God who seeks people to walk with him. That's what Malachi wanted for the people. Why? Because that's what God, as their father, wanted for his children. He wanted them to have a personal, intimate, 
authentic relationship with the living God. But they weren't living that way. In other words, just as Malachi called the people back then to live fully devoted to the Lord, he's calling us today to live fully devoted to the Lord. In fact, Malachi's call, though, to live fully devoted, it's, it's, it's not just pulled out of the air. He bases this call. He bases it on the foundation of God himself. And I want to briefly draw this out for you. Notice this here. Malachi's call to live fully devoted, first of all, because of the character of our Lord. The first words of Malachi's message are, I have loved you, says the Lord. Malachi begins his message by reminding us of God's steadfast love for us. God loved us when we didn't deserve his love. And get this, he continues to love us even when we love him half-heartedly. That's good news. That is awesome news. Throughout the whole book of Malachi, he reiterates the goodness of God, the love of God, yes, along with his justice and judgment. In Malachi 3.6, Malachi refers to the very unchanging nature of God when he writes, For I am the Lord, I do not change. And so God calls upon his people saying, return to me. And this appeal to return to the Lord, or what we're phrasing, live fully devoted, it is grounded in the truths of God's unchanging character. Who our God is. Malachi reminds us that the greatest motivation for giving our lives to God and living fully devoted to him is simply the truth of who God is. Listen, God's character makes him worthy of our service. His character makes him worthy of our worship. But that's not all. Malachi bases this call to live fully devoted because of the coming of the Lord. The last two chapters in the book here look forward to a coming day in which the Lord would visit His people again. However, this visitation was not all positive for the nation of Israel. Malachi announces a messenger who will prepare the way for the Lord which is John the Baptist, and then he asks in John 3, I mean in Malachi 3, verse 2, but who can endure the day of His coming? And who can stand when He appears? For He is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And so what was taking place in the people, in their attitude, they were lulled into this false sense of national security based on promises that were given to Israel. And the people of Malachi's day had relaxed themselves spiritually, convinced that the quote, the day of the Lord, would only be a blessing for them and nothing more. But Malachi, he comes on the scene and he assures them that when the day of the Lord came, he would judge all of the wicked, including those among his own people of the nation of Israel. We read in Malachi chapter 3, verse 5, speaking of the Lord, it says, And I will come near to you for judgment. Folks, the Lord's coming was used by Malachi, though, not only to shake those who were living in sin, but also to comfort those who were waiting for him to come faithfully. 
We read in Malachi 4, verse 2, it says, But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. The people in Malachi's day, they waited for the promise of the Messiah's first coming. But he's already come, has he not? That's, we just celebrated it. Christmas. Today, we wait for the promise of his second coming. And so Malachi is, in other words, he's saying to us, listen, the Lord is coming. Are you excited about that? Do you look forward to that? Oh, man. Every time I watch the news, read the news, I'm like, Lord, you can't come fast enough. The Lord is coming. That is a promise he made to his people. It's a promise he makes to us. And because of His character, we believe in that promise. The Lord is coming. And so in light of that coming, Malachi says, listen, live fully devoted to the Lord. Is Malachi's message for us? Oh, yeah. You bet this is a message for us. It may be an ancient book, but its message is still as relevant and practical as when it was first written 2,400 years ago. While times have changed, many things have not. Listen, we, we here this morning as the people of God, we know the very same God as Malachi and the people in his day. We have been redeemed by the very same grace in Jesus Christ as they. And yes, too, if we're honest, we have to admit we struggle with the very same issues and problems. So the question becomes, what, what then do we do in response to this little Old Testament book of Malachi. Well, I want to offer you two ways to respond here this morning. Our response to Malachi is really a twofold challenge. Listen to Malachi's message from God. Listen to his message and then examine whether you are living half-hearted or fully devoted to the Lord. We should listen to Malachi's message knowing that when we do... We are listening to none other than God himself. Now let me offer you two ways to listen. First way to listen to Malachi's message is to simply read through the book of Malachi. And so I want to encourage you, everyone here, to read through this book one time. We already read through it once this morning. And it took us less than 15 minutes, and that was reading it verbally. As you read it silently to yourself, most of you can read through it in about 10 minutes, all four chapters. And so I want to encourage you, everyone, to at least one time during the course of this series to read through it. But I, there's some of you I want to ask you to take a higher challenge, and that is to read through it several times. And that may look like this. Perhaps, if you're willing to, here's the challenge, to read through the book of Malachi, all four chapters, once every week during the course of this series. This series will be nine weeks long. It will lead us right into Easter. And so every week, whatever day you pick, you pick your day, read through it. The second way to listen to Malachi's message is to hear Malachi's message each Sunday as we go through this book for the next three months. So make an appointment. Make it a priority to come. Come each Sunday morning to our worship service here and be a part of this winter worship series and 
hear the message of Malachi, which is none other than God's message to us here today. And as you listen to Malachi's message, we then, the second challenge is to examine our lives. And you say, what am I examining my life about? Examine your life, and you'll need the help of the Spirit. You need to ask God to do this in light of the mirror of God's Word here in Malachi to help you examine whether or not you're living half-hearted or fully devoted. The reality is, we all, including myself, we all struggle to live fully devoted to the Lord. And it's easy. It's easy to think and to deceive ourselves into thinking that we are living fully devoted to the Lord. When in reality, in the reality of the mirror of God's Word, we're living half-hearted. This is why Malachi begins his message with the beautiful words, I have loved you, says the Lord. God loves you so much that he's willing to bear the difficult burden of confronting the real condition of my heart, the real condition of your heart. In fact, God loves you so much that he doesn't allow you as one of his Christ followers, as one of his children, to live half-hearted. And so in his steadfast love, in his enduring, persevering love for you, God confronts us. And then he calls us to live fully devoted to him. That's the message of Malachi. The question is, how will you respond? How will you respond to this ancient book with a very modern message? Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning and we thank you. Oh, we thank you that we can be here this morning to worship you. And Lord, our hearts are deceptive. You tell us that in your word. And it's hard to gain a proper perspective of who we are without the mirror of your word. And so we give thanks that we can look into your word and it reveals to us. And yet, Lord, we are also thankful that that motivation from you is one of love. Your plea is to have an intimate, authentic relationship with us. You know what's best for us as your children. And so, Lord, I pray that as we begin this series today and in the weeks to come, that you will speak to us through your prophet. Lord, you would use me each and every Sunday. Lord, we would come with anticipation. We would come with open hearts and an eagerness to hear from you. And that we would come before your word and we would examine our lives. And Lord, through it, we would live fully devoted to you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.